What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. We got some news out of training camp today that we'll discuss. We got some ESPN preseason power rankings to break down and nitpick, quibble with. And then we're going to talk about trades, more like hypothetical trades. There's no trades happening just yet, y'all. Hold your horses. It's October. We'll get there. But those are going to be our three segments. So let's start with the news. Blazers training camp, some news from both of their bigs, both centers on the Blazers roster dealing with injuries. Start with Pau Gasol, 39-year-old, 19-year vet, has yet to really do anything in practice. He had surgery about five months ago to repair a stress fracture in his foot, the navicular bone in his left foot. And he's still working his way back from that. In fact, uh, Gasol has yet to partake in practice. He, he really hasn't. He said he really hasn't done much basketball stuff all summer, mostly just rehab stuff to get the body right. But uh, in so far, Blazers training camp, they're running two days, one in the morning, one in the evening, starting on Tuesday. So by the time you listen to this, they will have had six practices in the books. Unless you listen to this a little bit late, then they've had more. But he hasn't, he hasn't participated in anything. And while speaking with the media today at the Blazers practice facility, he said that he's just going through the non-contact stuff. So when the Blazers run through 5-on-0 drills and just kind of walk through what their plays are going to be like, um, stationary stuff, he said he did a little bit of uh, pre-practice shooting when him and Nurk got out there. Uh, that's a fun but kind of sad uh Practice court pairing is two injured big guys getting some shots up before practice. He said they just went through basic things, uh, you know, pick and pop, stand up, spot up shooting, step backs, things like that. Just kind of um, low impact basketball things. The type of things you can do if you are recovering from fairly serious surgeries that you had five and six months ago. But Pau Gasol doesn't sound like someone who is going to rush back. Uh, I've kind of alluded to this, that he has been more cautious about when he will return than the team. Team kind of seems to be saying, you know, hopeful that he'll be ready uh, to start the season. Pau has been a little more cautious. He says it'd be nice to play in a preseason game, but he won't be disappointed if he doesn't. Which kind of means, to me, at least my read on, is that he's certainly not going to play in any of the first three. And then it would be up to him if he wanted to play in the last few. Uh, he also mentioned that he's he's super excited to play, but he wants to be realistic, pointing again that it's been five months since surgery and like on a reasonable timeline, much less a 39-year-old who's played 18 NBA seasons prior to this. Five months is not a ton of time to be back running around and playing basketball. So he's just doing non-contact stuff. He's not playing yet. Um, in, in terms of does he need to play, I, I, I don't think so. He probably needs to get his wind back a little bit. Hard to do that without actually playing basketball games. Um, so you might. So there's probably some incentive to get him in a preseason game if the Blazers can, if, if both their training staff and he feels comfortable. But he's played so much basketball that I think other than just the basic conditioning part, he'll be ready to go touch and feel-wise of the game. I mean, that's it's, it's why you have vets, because they know what to do. So that's your POW update. He's going through non-contact stuff, but not really doing much yet. Blazers' other big man, starting center Hassan Whiteside, tweaked his left ankle early on in training camp, the first day of training camp, and has not really done anything since. 
He had an incredible quote today when talking with the media. He said, it, it's, he's just tweaked my, tweaked my ankle a little bit. It's not as bad as a broken heart. Uh, just a, a truly charming quote from Hassan. Hopefully those keep rolling out all year long. Um, he wasn't on the court, though, at practice today. And he, he, he did say that he hopes Thursday in Thursday evening session he can get out and, and get out on the court, run around a little bit, get up and down, run through the plays at full speed and stuff like that. Uh, he described the ankle sprain as likely a grade one sprain. But he did add that he doesn't expect to miss any preseason games. And he enlightened the world to how it happened. He was going up for a rebound with Zach Collins, uh, fighting for a board, and he just came down and landed on his ankle wrong. Tweaked his left ankle. Says he's going to be fine. But if you're concerned about Hassan Whiteside having to sort of integrate into the system, I think he's more important than Powell in terms of figuring it out. Powell's going to play limited minutes. He's going to play 12 to 16 minutes a night. Hassan is going to be relied on to play a bunch more, 30-plus every night. So I think getting him out there and letting him get into the flow of things, and letting him play with his teammates and get a feel for what the system is going to look like, where he's going to get the ball, how he can help get Damon CJ free, where his spots are going to be, all those little things that of learning a new playbook need to happen. If you're concerned about that, Hassan offers you this. He says he's been in Portland since August 15th. That's nearly a month or two months, excuse me. And he's been looking over the playbook almost immediately since then with Blazers assistant coach and head video coordinator John Yim. So Hassan is familiar with at least the sets. Uh, I think there's some real value in that. I think uh, getting there, getting to Portland on August 15th and getting going is really valuable. Um, it speaks to his sort of willing, his excitement for a, new, a change of scenery, his excitement to be in a situa- this new situation outside of Miami, um, sort of reinvigorating, the, the re- how he's been reinvigorated. He spoke to that a couple times at, uh, so far to the media, and I think him showing up in August certainly speaks to that or, or demonstrates that. But... As much as reading the playbook and understand, you know, getting the the playbook sent to Blazers have a little team iPads, getting your, uh, getting your, getting your iPad loaded up with all the plays and sets and and how it all works. That's different than running through stuff with Dame. That's different than the type of things they say. Well, we run the play like this, but I like to catch it here, or I like you to set this screen at this angle, and all those sort of little things that you can actually get out of playing together. So while I don't think it's important that Powell plays preseason games pretty much at all, I think it's important that he gets, I think it'd be nice if he did. And like, it it would be valuable to the team if everyone was healthy. Sure, that's like, that's a given. But I do think it's important that Hassan Whiteside plays. And I think it's important that he plays with both Dame and CJ in the preseason before games count, because just getting him a chance to get out there and, and, and get a feel for how this offense is going to look, how they want them to do things on defense, all just the little feel things that you cannot simulate. It's really hard to simulate in practice, and you certainly can't simulate watching film or, or in one-on-one workouts or anything like that. I think there's real value in, value in getting Hassan out there. He says he's going to be ready for the preseason when it starts next week, so shouldn't be a problem. But he's yet to get out there. Hopefully, I probably won't be able to record a podcast by the time they practice. You know, they'll have four or five more practices plus fan fest by the time I record another one of these episodes. So look for an update Monday. Um, but we'll probably get to see him in fan fest. Most likely, maybe not, maybe they'll hold him out for health reasons, but we'll get to, we'll get to, uh, learn more about what he's done over the next couple practices. Okay. Second segment, we're going to talk about ESPN's power rankings and we're going to quibble with rankings. What a wonderful thing to do. Love to quibble. That's what we're here for. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Manscaped. 
Manscaped is number one in men's blow-the-belt grooming, and you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. Check it out. Okay, so you got your dose of Blazers big man injury news. Doesn't sound too serious, but um, I think Pau Gasol is one to monitor his availability. Sounds like Hassan Whiteside just got a mild ankle sprain, and he'll be back soon. But next, let's talk rankings, guys. Let's talk about things that don't matter, which is when large media organizations rank teams who haven't played any games yet. Good folks at ESPN gave their power rankings. Uh, I'm not going to make this a normal segment where I pick through people's power rankings. I don't think it's a valuable, um, particularly valuable to think about what one writer or one group of writers think how the NBA stacks up. I think the season does a pretty good job of figuring out who's good and who's not. Um, although I do think it is maybe interesting to discuss teams that are relatively similar, who you think is better or worse. So here are your ESPN power rankings. Number one, the Los Angeles Clippers. Number two, the Milwaukee Bucks. Number three, the Philadelphia 76ers. Number four, the Los Angeles Lakers. Number five, the Houston Rockets. At six, the Denver Nuggets. At seven, the Utah Jazz. At eight, the Golden State Warriors. Number nine, the Boston Celtics, and rounding out the top 10, your Portland Trailblazers. And now for the quibbling. I promised you quibbling, and now I'm going to quibble. I think the Clippers are the best team in the NBA. That's fine. They're deep. They're really good on the wings. Um, They didn't sacrifice a ton of their depth by adding two of the best players in the NBA. Uh, They still got Lou Williams, who gets buckets and will for eternity. Montrez Harrell plays hard and is very good. Mo Harkless is a just a really high-level backup wing that's really valuable. Landry Shamit can shoot. They got players. Clippers are really good. I have no problem with them being number one team in the NBA. I probably agree with it. The Bucks, um, the Bucks maybe have too many good players. We'll see what that shakes out like. Adding Robin Lopez and Wes Matthews and Kyle Korver um, to a team that basically only lost Malcolm Brogdon seems like they might have a numbers crunch at some point. But what do I know? They're a 61 team. They're the best team in the East. They'll probably be back there again. That's fine. Sixers at three. That's fine for me. They're going to be good. Um, their roster is a little bit weird because they're the most gigantic team that there could possibly be. And they added out Horford. They're getting bigger. It's what they, I guess it's what they want to do. They want to just get as big as possible. Um, yeah, but they're going to be really good. The, even if they have um, weird issues with Ben Simmons not shooting and all those things. They're going to be really good during the regular season. No worries. Lakers at four. Um, I'm sure Blazer fans have would complain about that or, or have some issues with that ranking. I don't really. I think the Lakers have some really obvious problems. They don't have many shooters. They don't have a ton of depth. But their baseline is two of the best six players in the NBA. That's really good for during the regular season. Just having two of the best, two top ten players. Pretty valuable. Uh, In the playoffs, when you can scheme against them and when their lack of shooting might um, be a bigger factor, I think they could be exposed a little bit. But during the regular season, if assuming both LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy, they're going to be really good. They're a top five team in the league. That's fine. Rockets at five. um, I, I think there's a lot of differing opinions on the Rockets. I'm of the belief that they're going to be very good during the regular season and have issues in the playoffs. Um... If you don't, that's fine with me. But I actually don't, I don't have a problem with those, the top five, really. I think that's about right. I think if I had to rank my teams, I don't know what order I'd do them, but I think those would be my top five teams in the league. It gets a little dicey after that for me. 
Nuggets at six. The Nuggets are a regular season beast. They're incredibly deep. They got better this offseason just by virtue of having their young players age and adding Jeremy Grant. Uh, if you're a believer in Michael Porter Jr. and him being healthy and being a steal that they picked two drafts ago and then he sat out his rookie year or sat out his first what would have been his first year in the league, um, then you think that they're adding a lottery-level talent to a team that damn near won the West last year. They're really good. Uh, they're they're if, if They could be a top-five team. They could be the team you quibble with, be, finish ahead of Houston, no problem. Jazz at seven. Uh, the world is very high on the Jazz. I think the Jazz starting lineup is going to be awesome. Um, I think they have sacrificed a little bit of depth, but man, is that starting group good. Um We'll see what happens. They kind of have to figure out who plays power forward, but I just think you can go kind of small and Rudy Gobert can cover up for a lot of the rebounding and size issues they need. I think Mike Conley fits really well. The Jazz are good. That's fine. Golden State at eight. Little wild to me. Little wild for me. Uh, probably a little high for the Warriors in my humble opinion. I think Steph Curry's going to get close to his MVP level again this season if he has it in him, but I think it's a fair question. Um, he's, oh, he's north of 30. He's played a million miles. He's one of the all-time great NBA players. Those guys usually age fine. The all-time greats, they stay all-time great. That is generally how it works. It's how you stay an all-time great. But they're missing Clay Thompson, a key to their secret sauce. Um, they're relying a lot on Kevon Looney, who I like, but I don't know, um, just about that magic. Losing Andre Iguodala seems like a Seems like a big issue to me. Um, not having Kevin Durant will make them worse. I don't know if they're the eighth best team in the NBA. They're a playoff team. They're going to be good. Draymond and Steph sets a baseline for being a very good team. I don't know if it sets a baseline for being a great one. The ninth team on the list is some truly wild stuff for me. The Boston Celtics. There's just no way the Boston Celtics are better than the Blazers. It's a nice thing to think um, that they are. <laughs> Uh, Kemba Walker is a really good player. Uh, he's probably underrated until he became a Celtic. Now he's overrated. Uh, the, the Boston lost Al Horford. They lost Kyrie Irving. He's probably their two best players. Uh, I'm not a big Jason Tatum guy. I'm saying that with a giant Tar Heel caveat, obviously, but I just, I think he's good, but not an all-star level. Great. Um, I like Jalen Brown, but I, how much better can he get? We'll see what happens with Gordon Hayward's health. He's a big wild card for me. I think the Boston Celtics are very likely to finish with a better record than the Blazers by virtue of playing in the Eastern Conference. There is no way for me that they are collectively better talent-wise than the Blazers, and yet ESPN ranks them nine. That's what you get to do. You make the rankings, you get to make the list. Blazers coming at 10. Um, there, I could see them easily as high as eight on this list, maybe seven. Um, if you're higher on the Blazers roster than I am, you could probably argue them all the way to fifth. Sure. Sure. I think sixth isn't even, is, is even a, you could make a, a pretty clean argument for them climbing to six. And I'd agree with you. Um, they're def, I think they're better than the, the Celtics. No doubt. I think they're probably better than the Warriors just because the Warriors depth issues. Um, and I think they're on that same level as Denver and Utah. I think they proved it last year. They went into Denver and won a road game seven. Uh, they certainly have an entirely new roster. It's hard to judge the Blazers um, just because we haven't seen what this group looks like. But if we're quibbling, and I promise you I'd quibble, I think it's a little low. A little low. Like two spots low. 
They should be eighth. Um, and I'll end this segment by saying these lists don't matter. I just wanted to run you through a preseason look at NBA teams, give you my thoughts at the league at large. I think the Blazers are going to battle for one of the top five playoff spots in the West. This ESPN power ranking suggests that they will battle for one of the top five spots in the West. So in that sense, I, I guess I agree. I don't think it's, I don't think it's super wrong. Um, if you're scoring at home, this power ranking puts the Blazers ahead of the Nets, the Raptors and the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Blazers are going to be really good, and I think preseason power rankings are meant to do things like this, give people who have podcasts something to talk about, um, point you to ESPN.com. <laughs> I'm supposed to, like, uh, promote their content or something. Well, congratulations, they did. They got me to do it. I'm, I'm telling you to go to the website and be ang- see for yourself and be angry. Um, also, on that same uh, rankings, they, li- they pick, like, a breakout player for every team, and there's some really funny... Um, the funny selections. The Blazers is Zach Collins. The Jazz is Royce O'Neal. So yeah, that's that's what's that's what's happened over there on ESPN. If you're mad about the rankings, be mad at the four letter network, not at not at me. All right, third segment. Uh we're gonna talk a little bit about trades. The Athletics' John Hollinger wrote his first real piece, a longtime front office man for the Memphis Grizzlies, wrote his first real piece for the Athletics. An interesting sort of uh, insiders look at, at how trades might go down in the NBA this season. So that's what we'll talk about in segment three. Stick with me. All right, welcome back. Still locked on Blazers, still Mike Richmond. We talked big man injuries. We talked power rankings. Now it's time to talk about trades. Not trades that happen, but trades that could happen. John Hollinger of The Athletic, just really, really recently of The Athletic, uh, worked for the Grizzlies for seven seasons in their front office in varying capacities. He's the guy who invented PER, player efficiency rating, an analytics guru who kind of got swooped up as the NBA analytics storm really caught hold, um, was part of some Grizzlies teams that were very good, and then um, has stepped away as the Grizzlies transition to a new era when they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA with an exciting young core. But he wrote an interesting story today in The Athletic. You should check it out. Uh, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one because paying for journalists to do their jobs is how journalists keep their jobs. So he wrote a look at all of the quote-unquote contenders in the league and put them into groups on how much trade flexibility they had. And his argument is that um, a lot of the the way the rosters looked this time last season were not how the rosters looked at when we got to playoff time. Uh, obviously, Jimmy Butler got traded in season. Tobias Harris got traded in season. You could add Marcus Gasol to that list. Someone got traded in season, won a championship. George Hill got traded to the Bucks and was pretty useful uh, at the end of the year. And and on on the Blazers' side, they added Ennis Cantor and they traded away two bit players to get Rodney Hood. Uh, like this this player movement stuff matters. Hollander does a good po- uh, makes a good point of sort of laying out that even these minor deals, the flexibility to make minor deals like having two cheap players at the end of the roster and some second round picks allows you to do things like add Rodney Hood who ended up being a playoff hero and is now sort of part of the Blazers core even if he's not locked up for long term. But he broke down all of the quote-unquote contenders, the, the, the teams that have a chance to make deep playoff runs, or at least be part of the playoff picture, into a couple categories, a few categories, I, sh- I should say. 
The first is blindfolded with both hands tied behind their back, occupied only by the Golden State Warriors. The next, already shot their shot. Then limited flexibility, followed by lots of flexibility, followed by Cirque du Soleil. So by Hollinger's uh, organization, the Blazers find themselves in the lots of flexibility space. He points out that they have two gargantuan expiring contracts, his word, not mine, Hassan White signing Kent Bazemore. They own all their future first-round picks. think that's crucial. The Blazers have built this team and still have their first-round picks. They're a veteran team who might not want to necessarily use first-round picks. Those are things you can trade. I think that has real, valuable, real value. They also have multiple young players, Zach Collins, Anthony Simons, and Gary Trent Jr. Hard for me to see the Blazers trading Zach or Anthony this season, but, you know, maybe if uh, Gary Trent and his um, pops, maybe somebody likes Gary Trent, maybe he's he's tradable. He does mention um, the, the sort of the big, the, the elephant in the room is that if Yusuf Nurkic comes back from injury right around the trade deadline, then maybe trading Hassan Whiteside's deal is more reasonable. However... Jason Quick, also The Athletic, has reported that the Blazers have no interest in trading or no interest and no plans of trading Hassan Whiteside this season. We'll get back to that in a second. The other point Hollinger makes, just to close his, his article out before we talk about it in depth, is that the Blazers are already $12 million in the tax, so adding more salary this season, like if they were to take on more money in, in a, a lopsided trade, or they, they can only go so far because they're a tax team, but um, if they were to add even slightly more money, the tax penalties are pretty steep, so they would have to, um, they'd have to be willing to pay a, a pretty penny. But to, um, to, Quick's, to Quick's reporting, that uh, the Blazers aren't, planning to trade or don't want to trade us on Whiteside. I'm, I'm sure that's true. Jason Quick is a veteran reporter and one of the best in the business. I will say this as a caveat, however. The things change quickly in the league. And if Nurk is ready to go and ready to play... Trading Hassan Whiteside might make sense. Like these things can, like situations can change. I think very honestly right now in September, October, and November, the Blazers will have no interest in trading Hassan Whiteside. That's true. But things can, things can change very, very quickly. I don't think the Blazers would have necessarily going into this season had an eye on adding Ennis Cantor. I think they had a plan that they had backup bigs in, in Collins and uh, Myers Leonard that were going to, they're going to be fine. They were going to fix, you know, they were going to plug the holes behind Nurk and it was going to be okay. And then once they got deeper into the season, they started saying, well, let's try to add a backup center in the bio market. These things change. Circumstances change. I don't think the Blazers are going to be shopping Hassan Whiteside all season. In fact, I think he plays, if I had to guess, I think they don't trade him and he plays on this team in the playoffs. But Hollinger points out that the Blazers have flexibility. And I think the flexibility is the key. Is that if teams do need a wing and the Blazers need an upgrade at power forward and Anthony Simons really deserves to play, you can trade Kent Bazemore. If there's another deal out there and teams just need salary filler and some first round picks. You can maybe move Scalabus year and guys off the back, back half of the roster and, and having young guys that are pretty good and expiring contracts and first give the Blazers some flexibility that other contenders don't. In fact, the other contenders that sort of have already made their moves as Hollinger points out the Clippers, the Rockets, the Lakers, People who are supposedly in front of them in the standings, right? If we remember back to segment two when we talked about the power rankings. The Utah Jazz, they kind of don't have much flexibility. They could use an upgrade on the bench, but they've they kind of made their move to get Conley. Nuggets obviously have a ton of flexibility. They have a million good young players. They're kind of in the Blazers' boat. 
And for my money, they're probably a little ahead of the Blazers in terms of uh, trade assets. But I think what Hollinger's point, uh, what Hollinger's larger sort of point of his story brings up is, is something that I think uh, Neil O'Shea alluded to into early in the season. He said, we're going to bring 14 guys into the roster and this will be our team for now. Neil has shown a willingness to make trades, uh, flipping Mason Plumlee and getting Yusuf Nurkic, uh, a trade that was kind of an afterthought and ended up saving the Blazers' season, kind of tra- changing the direction of the franchise, trading uh, Wade Baldwin and Nick Stauskas in a couple second-round picks to get Rodney Hood. That helps, uh, you know, that that put the Blazers probably into the Western Conference Finals. And uh, Without that move, they probably don't make it that far. He's shown a willingness to make trades. And while right now he might say this roster is set, he's alluded to the fact that he is keeping the 14th roster spot open for tax purposes and also for flexibility. They want to have a chance to upgrade this roster as necessary. They've got some obvious holes. They don't have a ton of options at forward. Their center group is, they got a bunch of bigs, but they might not have a bunch of bigs that are of the caliber that they need to to be to to get back to the Western Conference Finals behind us on Whiteside. Every team in the NBA could use upgrades on the wing, so just throw the Blazers in that group. But I think Hollinger's story points out that among the teams that are that are aiming to make a big run, the Blazers are as in as good a situation as anyone, if not the best situation. It's a good place to be. All right, that's all I got for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. They can find this podcast, and you can too, everywhere you already get them. That's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Blazers continue training camp this weekend, and they open up preseason next week. We'll get to see them on the court and what they look like for the first time. I'm excited about it. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening.